Isaiah 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the Caucasus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendour of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendour of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool and the thirsty ground bubbling springs. The haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Thank you, Emma. I am now on. <laughs> My name's Nathaniel. I'm part of the team here at Bray Park, uh, working with our young people. And today I'll be opening up this prophecy from Isaiah 35, which refreshes and encourages us. But first, let's come before our Lord in a moment of prayer that he'll prepare our hearts to hear from his word. Father God, I want to thank you that we can be here this morning. I want to thank you that we are able to come together and worship you and hear from your word. And I pray that as I unpack this word, Lord, that you will be with me, that you will guard my words, Lord, that you will guide uh, your word into all of our hearts, that through your spirit you will change and shape and grow us to be more like you. We bring these things before you in your name. Amen. Now, there are some artworks which the more that you look at them, the more beautiful they get. At the start of this year, I had the great joy and privilege of going on a, on a holiday with my younger sister over to Europe. And uh, in a month, we walked through thousands, definitely thousands of rooms full of amazing artworks, full of carvings, full of different bits of poetry, all these beautiful things, intricate artwork, which you could look at for hours and just keep on soaking in more detail and more nuance and seeing extra little bits in them. And I've had that same sort of experience looking into this prophecy. The more that you look into these words, the more you think about them and dwell on them, the more you see how many layers of beauty there are, how much it connects into the rest of Scripture, the more you see how much hope and glorious beauty lies in these 10 verses. 
There are so many themes which connect into the rest of Scripture and so many things which we could talk about this morning. Uh, we could do an entire sermon series, series on it, but I'm sure that you would want me to stop if I did that in one morning. So we're going to spend just a little while talking about the amazing promise that we have in this passage. The promise which at its core is about the main story of the Bible, which is about God's promise to send a saviour to solve the problem of sin in our world. And I hope that you come away from this passage this morning as refreshed and as encouraged as I have been spending time in it. Now this prophecy, is, it's of particular encouragement to us as a church family here right now uh, because if you've been with us for the last 10 weeks, you'll know that we've been walking through the book of First Peter. Now First Peter can be a challenging read. Uh, it's a book written to a church like ours today which is facing increasing challenge from the world around it for following Jesus. And Peter writes encouraging us to live a life which is against the tide of the world around, following Jesus even though the going is going to be tough. And today's passage gives us encouragement in the hope of the restoration which lies beyond that struggle. So have you ever been to a desert wilderness? What sort of a desert was it? Uh, Deserts can come in different shapes and sizes. Uh, You could be thinking of a time you went to Outback Australia or the South African desert perhaps or the Sahara or maybe you haven't seen a desert wilderness and you're, you're picturing a certain kind of desert. Uh, what, what sort of desert was that? Was it dangerous? Uh, what sort of animals lived there? What sort of rugged terrain did you see in that desert? Well, in the Near East, where Israel is, there is a particularly harsh kind of desert. It's the wilderness. It's a stony wilderness. It's full of sharp, jagged rocks rather than just lots of sand or there is very little rainfall. What does come down from the skies very soon washes off or evaporates the soil. Uh, There isn't much of it, and what is there is sandy and dry, not really that much more than weeds and wiry scrub can grow in the wilderness. And the wildlife matches the terrain. There is no abundance of cute, fuzzy animals. Uh, There's more of the venomous, ferocious variety of animal. And in the Bible, all throughout the Bible, living apart from God is often compared to living in the wilderness. There is life of a sort, but it's painful and it's difficult and it's short-lived. And because of the separation that has been caused by human sin, our whole world is like a desert wilderness. This doesn't mean that there's nothing good there. Even the wilderness has things which are good and beautiful. Uh, The crocus, which is up on the screen and was mentioned at the start of the passage, blooming in the desert, uh, that's one good thing. Occasionally the crocus will bloom to life in the desert where there's been some water. There is life in the desert, but it's not abundant. It is often twisted. There's straggly bushes, there's venomous animals, there's wild predators. It's not hell, right? This, This world this desert, it is still God's good creation, but it is nothing compared with the lush paradise which our passage envisions. And the beauties that we see, that we glimpse in this world, are just 
little glimpses of what it was made to be, of what it should be like. And so as we live in this desert wilderness of a world, we see and we experience things which, which make our hearts ache. You know, I sometimes feel just overwhelmed, personally, uh, by just how much hurt and brokenness there is in the world. Uh, sometimes I'm caring for someone or I see something in my own life or I just see something in the news and I'm just, uh, it just fills my heart with an aching. Is that something which you're familiar with? Many of you have been through life for a lot longer than I have and you know that aching to a far deeper extent. We can see this brokenness in a lot of different ways. Uh, Perhaps you see it in sickness, in pain. Uh, When we ourselves, our own bodies or the bodies of those that we love are struggling with some sort of disease or injury. We feel it in the agony which is the separation of death. When our earthly bodies give way, they they come to an end and we're separated from those that we love. We see it in the injustice in the world when people who have power use it to abuse other people, damaging and destroying for their own pleasure. We see it in broken relationships when our connection to friends or family or spouses or other people we love and care about is damaged and destroyed. And beneath all of that, underlying all of that pain, is the pain of a separation from our Creator. Because that aching longing, you know, that, you know, that, deep, that deep yearning that we have within us sometimes, which nothing we can ever quite use satisfies it. There's nothing that can ever quite fill that. Now, I'm not sure how you feel that, uh, but I'm sure that we all do know that, that, deep, that deep longing to have something or that deep longing to undo something, to fix something. And underneath that is a brokenness which just won't be resolved if we, if we get what we want because there's only one thing that will ever permanently fill or heal or satisfy our aching dry hearts. And that is the overflowing abundance of a restored life with God, which this passage visualizes. Beneath all of the pain and hurt that we have, what our souls really most yearn for and desire is that restored life with our God. And the good news of Jesus is that this restoration has already begun to happen. Because alongside this imagery of restoration, our prophecy that we've read just then encourages God's people to remain strong with the promise that the God himself was going to come and he was going to save them. But for 700 years, 700 long years after Isaiah was given this prophecy, there was no arrival of God. God's people continued in their same cycle of rebelling from him, turning away from him, bearing the punishment of that, and God continued to bring them back, to love them, to forgive them. But for 700 years, no streams of water in the wilderness. 
But then there came a voice, a man called John, and he was living, where? Out in the wilderness, living off its scarce provision, living off the locusts and the honey that were there, calling people to turn back to God. And when he was asked who he was, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. John was announcing that God himself had come into the world as a man, Jesus, to begin the transformation of this wilderness. And with his arrival, what Isaiah had prophesied in this passage 700 years before began to take place. Verses five to six said that when God comes to save his people, then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. And this has happened. All of these things, this list, were all done by Jesus. If you flick through the Gospels, um, those are the first four books of the New Testament which describe Jesus' life. The Gospels are full of accounts of how Jesus did make the blind see. He did make the deaf hear. He did make the lame leap and the mute shout for joy. In fact, in Matthew 11, John the Baptist, the the John who was calling in the wilderness, he was about to be executed. And he sent messengers to Jesus to ask whether he really was the one who who had been prophesied about to check whether he really was worth dying for. And we read, Jesus answered them, go, tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the good news preached to them. And alongside these physical miracles, these signs of who Jesus was, we see a far greater spiritual miracle, the healing of our spiritually dry world. Isaiah keeps on returning to this imagery of water in the wilderness, springs of water bursting forth. And uh, if you were here earlier on this year and have a good memory, uh, this might be ringing a bell for you, talking about Jesus and talking about water. Because just earlier on this year, we were looking at a passage in John's Gospel describing Jesus' conversation with a Samaritan woman about living water. And that conversation takes place besides a well. And talking about that well, Jesus says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water that I give them will become within them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And in fact, this imagery of living water which brings about spiritual restoration is found all throughout the Bible. Um, Another passage later in John, Jesus declares, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. 
These springs of living water have already begun to burst forth in our desert wilderness and even in our own hearts and they are bringing spiritual life and nourishment. Yet, the main reason that Jesus came to this earth was not just to prove who he is. It wasn't just to heal the world around us and do cool things, but it was to make a way for us in ourselves to be restored, to fix that underlying problem in the world of a broken relationship with our God. He came to return us to a right relationship with our God. And that way to return is visualized as the way of holiness in our passage. We read, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk upon that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. This is the way which Jesus has established for us the way back to restored relationship with our God. It's a way that we could never make for ourselves. And we see that this highway of holiness is a place of protection for God's redeemed. It is a place of safety. God protects and guards his people on that way. Now this is not physical protection, Um, Our series on 1 Peter definitely showed us that we should fully expect physical challenges and struggles and persecutions and sadness. But this protection is a preservation and a provision. God will give us all that we need, not all that we want, but all that we need in order to follow him faithfully. And he will not let that evil drag us away from him. And... It said, only those who the Lord has rescued will return. And there lies the incredible good news of Jesus, right? That it is not for the people who are good enough to go back to God. The way is not for the people who manage to get themselves right enough to go on it, because that would be no one, right? It is for the redeemed, those who the Lord has saved. So we don't have to live a holy life in order to be saved and get onto that way. Instead, we live holy lives because we are saved. And our God, he was not required to save us. It was our human sin which has broken this world and there's no obligation from God to come down and fix it. He could have just washed his hands of it all and just started again. But instead, he decided to heal this world. He decided to break himself to take the punishment that we deserve so that we could be made right with him. And he did this. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves you, me, each one of us individually. He does this for us freely He doesn't ask us to earn the right to be saved by him. That's something we could never do. And all of this, what he has done for us, this is called grace. Grace is a free gift 
which is not deserved. And that is captured so beautifully in the hymn Amazing Grace, which is a response to what God has done for us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. But we really easily lose sight of this, don't we? I don't know about you, but I, I get distracted. I lose perspective. Sometimes my life reflects a different tune, a tune which something sounds a bit more like average grace. How bland the sound that slightly improved my life. I went to church and liked the songs and now I have to be nice. That's, it's true, isn't it? Sometimes that becomes the, the tune of our lives. But when we understand what Jesus has done for us, we want our lives to be transformed. When we taste that living water he gives, we want more and more. And it's when we lose sight of how incredible God's love for us is and how amazing his work for us is that we start to live as half-hearted Christians, right? Now, we don't always get this right. We don't have to wallow in how many mistakes we make. I know that I, for one, am just as guilty of losing this perspective as anyone else is, but the Christian life is not about perfection. We should not be crippled by the guilt of our failings. Rather, Jesus sets us free from our failures. And this incredible love that he has shown motivates us to live a life which displays the reality, the reality of the powerful transformation he is working in our hearts. And when we do this together, because there's lots of us, we create a community which looks and which feels like Jesus, which stands out to the spiritually thirsty Bray Park around as a source of this eternally satisfying water which Jesus offers. Our church communities, um, we want to look like oases in the desert, sustained by that living water which Jesus provides, pointing people towards the way of holiness which he has established for us. But that way that we're on, that, that life that we live, that's not the end. That, that way leads somewhere. It is leading us to God's city. And as we look at the desert wasteland of this world, we do see these patches of beauty, right? We do see these oases which we, we love being in. We do see God's goodness in things like that, that crocus bursting forth from the ground. But these are only a little tiny brief glimpse of the incomparable beauty which is going to fill our entire creation when Jesus returns. And this transformation of the world, this transformation of our wilderness, it's not gonna be a slow and gradual process of more and more oases popping up until eventually it's all oasis. No, that's, that's not what it's gonna be like. Rather, it will be suddenly and completely transformed when Jesus returns again. Isaiah prophesies waters bursting forth, streams just appearing in the desert. That scraggly desert grass, the den of wild jackals, is transformed into 
reeds and rushes. And we look forward to that glorious day and to what comes after it. Because that day is not just the end of existence. It is the finish line of our race, of our striving and struggle against the tide of all the broken pain of the world. But it is the beginning of eternity. Eternity spent together in restored relationship with our Saviour and with each other. Glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. Doing what we were made to do. The picture which Isaiah 35 paints of this final restoration is is really, truly refreshing, hey? It is a safe place. These dry dens of wild animals are replaced by grassy places where reeds can grow. Those burning hot sands are replaced with cool pools of water. And God's people entering God's city of Zion, singing praises to him. Now, Zion, if you're not familiar with that name, it's, it's a name for the hill on which Jerusalem is built. Uh, but it's more, very often used all throughout the Bible to describe the place in this restored world where God lives among his people. And they will enter Zion with everlasting joy crowning their heads. This joy that we have in Jesus is one which will last far beyond this life forever into the next. Earlier this week, we said farewell to a beloved friend of ours, uh, Laurie Jones. Uh, She went to be with the Lord and we mourned and we laid her to rest. And the last year of Laurie's life very clearly showed the pain of living in this hurting, broken world as she battled with the cancer which eventually took her life. But we know that the end of this life was not the end for Laurie. Laurie showed a certainty of where she was going. She had placed her faith in Jesus to save her. And he placed her on that way of holiness. And she knew that she was going to enter God's city with rejoicing. And when Jesus does return and transforms this entire world, all of us who have placed our faith in him will be reunited eternally with him. That's the the same comfort that we have in Revelation 21, uh, which describes the moment, the moment of Jesus' return. And it also speaks with that same imagery of the water of life. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Isn't that amazing? Does that fill your heart with a joyful hope? 
the thirsty I'll give from the spring of the water of life without payment. These are trustworthy and true words. Do you yearn for that day when Christ will return and he will bring life to our crippled world? Do you yearn for that? I do. Sometimes I do lose sight of it and sometimes I do forget. Sometimes I get so caught up in the cares of this life, in the the pain of a sharp rock in the wilderness or the thirstiness because I forgot to drink the water that I forget to look towards what is to come. But when we stop and we, we regain our perspective, everything else just dims in comparison to this amazing restoration that we are looking toward. So each glimpse of his goodness in this world makes us long for the next. But there's also a reverse side to this, right? Because as our passage notes, there are those who will not walk on this way of holiness. There are those who have not placed their faith in Jesus. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. And, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. This way is a place where only the redeemed, those who have been made right with God through Jesus, are able to walk. We don't earn our way into that spot, right? It's a completely a free gift from Jesus applied to us through faith. But it's a gift that we need to take. Because without Jesus, we are all the unclean. We are all the wicked fools, We all deserve to be just wiped away along with all the other sinful brokenness that's in the world. Now I know for sure um, that I'm not a perfect person and I don't think that I've met any perfect people. I need Jesus to make me pure. I am the unclean and the, the wicked without him. And if you ask anyone who's around me, they'll confirm the fool part. So if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't acknowledged that you are broken and if you haven't asked him to forgive you, if you haven't asked him to set you upon that that way, then I encourage you to go to God and talk to him about it. Pick up a Bible, hear from his word, start in the book of Matthew perhaps, hear from him, pray to him, talk to him about it. Maybe have a chat to a Christian friend uh, or one of our team here at church. We would love to sit with you and tell you more about Jesus and spend time praying with and for you. And whether you're a Christian or not, if this passage resounds with something just deep inside of your heart, if this passage fills you with some sense of longing, like it it does for me, then don't let this morning be just the end of thinking about it. Take the time to gaze into it. We've barely scratched the surface of all that God has to say in this passage. Read it carefully. Talk to God about it. If you've got a study Bible, um, open it up and have a look at all the cross-references that go all throughout the Bible, all the other passages that this connects to in God's big story. If you're a creative person, uh, maybe express these with drawing or art. And not only with this passage, but with the whole of the Bible, because there are so many other passages in God's Word, and each of them is richer and is fuller and is more beautiful 
the longer that you look at it. This Bible is an essential tool for surviving in the wilderness. Psalm 119 reflects, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's an essential tool that we need. So if you are weary with the brokenness of the world, if you're hurting from the harsh wilderness that we're in, or if during the week you, you do hit that, maybe you're in a, a solid spot now, but on Monday morning you get to work and something's not right, or the kids are grumpy, or the parents are grumpy, go back to this passage. Go back to God's promise of restoration. Be encouraged because this wilderness is being transformed. If you don't know Jesus yet, then please, I encourage you, come to him. There is hope in the wilderness. There is an eternity in a restored relationship with God. Find those springs of living water which will sustain and nourish your soul eternally. Set your feet on the way of holiness and set your hope on the day when Jesus will return and complete the restoration that he is doing in this world. And if your hope is in him, If you're already walking on that path, then great work. That is awesome. And I am so glad that I'm your brother in Christ as we walk this path together. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Be encouraged as you live for him. Continue to be refreshed and sustained by the living water that he provides. And continue to share this good news with others. Whoever you can, tell them where the living water can be found because fountains of living water have begun to burst forth in our desert wilderness of a world. And even though we are often hurt and discouraged or even overwhelmed by the ravages of the wilderness, we can set our feet on the way of holiness which Jesus has established for us and we can savour every single drop of God's goodness in the world around us as foretastes of eternity. Sweet and refreshing tastes, but nothing, absolutely nothing compared to the river of joy which is going to be poured out when we step into an eternity in restored relationship with our Saviour. Let's come before him now and thank and praise him for that in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you that you have entered into this desert wilderness of a world and have begun to transform it, Lord. We thank you for this beautiful promise that we have, that we long for, that we yearn for, that you will restore this world, Lord, and make it back the way it was meant to be. Father God, I pray that you will be with all of us as we go out from here into our days and into our weeks, that we will not simply uh, go away and try to strive through the wilderness on our own, but that you will remind us of your word, you will remind us of your presence, that you will remind us to come back to you for that living water, and that you will help us to guide this, guide others to you, and to show this amazing restoration to all those who we come across. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen.